0: Hey y'all, it's Abigail. The world around our churches is changing, but you already know that. So, what does that mean for you and your church? You have to start something new that reaches your changing community for Jesus. If not, your church will struggle to survive in 2021. Think about what it will take to re engage the people of your church and community. How can you make sure what you do will get people involved and make an eternal difference? In a few weeks, we want to tell you how. This will transform how you start something new that really works. Go to 52.com slash subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. We can't wait to share this with you. Again, that's F-I-V-E-T-W-O dot slash subscribe. Make sure your church survives 2021. Don't miss this. Welcome to the Start New Podcast, where we help you love your community and start great ministries that reach it. My name is Abigail Taylor. And I'm Bill Woolsey. We're part of the leadership team of 5-2 Network, and we'll be your hosts. Let's get started.
1: Hey, thank you
2: so much for having me. And I'm glad you said I live with my wife and my kids because that'd be kind of weird if I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I've been south of the border though for 20 years now. So I'm, I cling to my Canadian identity, but it's
1: a bit of a ruse because I've been down here so long. I feel like I've melted into the melting pot. So Well, thank you. I figure a little, a little, uh, what is it?
2: Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So if you say some silly things and then you can slip some
1: serious stuff in there once in a while. Yeah, no, and it's gotten worse in 2020, I feel like, uh, because things are
2: so polarized and contentious. Uh, And I don't know, I can't say it's really a conscious strategy or anything like that. You know, you hope you're doing it well. Uh, Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Initially, I got onto Twitter, to be totally honest, to sell books. I was like, okay, you know, I can get the word out about my books on here. And then I found that I actually just kind of liked it. I like interacting with folks and discussing ideas, making dumb jokes, Uh, and so... I think, you know, the, the thing that people, I think, do wrong most of the time with Twitter, with any social media, really, is to forget the first word of social media, and that is that it's social, right? They use it like a bulletin board to, like, list their accomplishments, first of all, uh, or they they just, you know, want to pick fights, and they're always disagreeing with people. So it's like, you just got to pretend, hey, if, how would I interact with this person if I was sitting next to them at a table at a party or something, right? Be like that, and social media is a lot better, is what I find
1: yeah no good question um and and it's always a little weird like whenever you post something whether it's
2: facebook or twitter it's kind of bizarre if you think of all the people that potentially see it because you've got Christian friends and I've got atheist friends and I've got my second grade teacher that's on there and my, you know, and you start thinking about all these potential uh, people seeing something and it's just a good reminder because I think for, for Christians, we, we tend to get into these sometimes weird um, uh, fights about the, you know, peculiarities of a certain doctrine or theology and there's a place for that. But, you got to keep in mind online, there's all kinds of people watching, right? <laughs> and sometimes they're kind of looking over the hedge and going, do I really want to be part of that that family over there? They're kind of weird and they fight about strange things. So, you know, I try to kind of use that to temper what I'm saying and not just what I'm saying, but the way in which you're saying it, Right. So if you're gonna disagree with people, don't come out like a jerk and start swinging. Try to see things from other people's perspectives. It's really just the like normal rules of engagement that people somehow get nuts and forget about when they're online. I don't know what it is. It's the anonymity, the digital courage, whatever it is. (laughs) All those rules just go out the window and people behave very strangely in ways they wouldn't if they were face to face with folks.
1: Right, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks. (laughs) I
0: was laughing. When oh, I was good. reading your
2: Twitter feed today. So <laughs> thank you. That's very validating because because most of the people in my home, my kids and my wife, don't think I'm very funny. So I need that <laughs> exterior validation. That's it. No honor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just got tired of
2: people coming up to me and saying, Drew, what is the secret to your incredible self-control? Your amazing discipline. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, uh, the truth is, uh, unfortunately, uh, it was actually an area which I realized was a weakness for me. Um, and part of it was like, you know, just making resolutions every year and realizing that I couldn't accomplish them. And so initially I started reading up on the topic, you know, I was reading all the bestsellers about, uh, willpower and habits and grit and all these kind of books, uh, really just for myself, just kind of curious about the topic. Um, and then somewhere along the way, as I started to read Christian and secular books and what scripture has to say about it, I was like, Oh, I wonder if there's a book here. So I kind of stumbled into it pretty naturally, uh, not thinking of writing a book at first at all. And my hope is that the book can be as helpful to other people as it has been for me, because it was really clarifying to think about some of these topics like um, you know, self-regulation and willpower and areas like that. And then, of course, like the title implies, looking at it both from what scripture has to say and then what the science has to say. Oh, I found, I found that they were very complementary. you know, and that's, some people have s- seen that and they go, what do you mean? Scripture and science, come on, they're like opposites or something, which I've never bought, right? It's like, I always have adhered to the, I don't know who said it, but the all truth is God's truth kind of idea, right? Um, and that was certainly true in this case. Like One of the big aha findings early on when I was researching this is looking at the literature on um, willpower. Uh, And just to really condense it crudely, but like about 20, 30 years ago, sociologists find out something interesting about willpower, and that is it's a finite resource. And they do all these studies where they have like, people do these math puzzles, but beforehand they have one group have to resist eating chocolate chip cookies and the other group doesn't have to. The group that has to resist the chocolate chip cookies comes in and lasts only a third the time on the math puzzle before giving up. So they find out that there's this thing called willpower and it's a depletable resource and it depletes rather quickly. And I mean, it kind of seems like common sense in a way, although often I think we trick ourselves into thinking you can hold out indefinitely against temptation, right? Or do something difficult.
0: We're superheroes. Yes.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. And of course that sets you up for failure, right? Because if you think, oh no, I can... I can walk into any difficult or tempting situation and temptations are just going to bounce off me because I'm, I'm Superman. Uh, that's a dangerous thing to do. But as I'm reading these studies, I just think, Oh, I mean, this is kind of how scripture describes us, right? As finite fallible fallen creatures. Uh, I think it's why we're told to like flee temptation rather than stand and fight it. Uh, so yeah, just a lot of those kind of things. that just made a lot of sense of what scripture already teaches and yet we're helpful in clarifying, especially the stuff on habits and, you know, the three parts of a hat works
1: was really helpful for me personally. A former, yeah, former chief of police. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, from what I can
2: tell and the, the leaders that I'm interacting with out here, uh, and I do I get the privilege of having conversations with local pastors, certainly. And like you said, yeah, I interviewed the the recently retired uh, uh, chief deputy of the Portland Police Department. Um, that the Christians out here, the Christian leaders are doing a great job, um, you know, in insofar as you can during a pandemic when everyone's disconnected. Uh, And man, there is such, I think there's so much more opportunity for the church in this time right now because we've got, I mean, people are more fearful, more anxious than ever before, more divided, uh, polarized, right? I mean, I think of the the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. I mean, that's a prayer that we need to be praying every day because I I don't want to say we've never been more divided because I mean, yeah, the Civil War, right? But (laughs) in recent memory, it feels that way, just the level of, of animosity and acrimony and yeah. And, and just anger, um, uh, especially as we head into the election, uh, uh, here, it, it's just off the charts. And so, you know, I guess that's, that's one role for the church that we need to inhabit is that peacemaking role where we say, and this is the cool thing about the church, right? Is that you get to, um, I mean, I, I saw uh, a Christian, uh, a while back, I remember writing a blog post about saying, you know what, I don't, I actually now pick my friends, not based on our common beliefs, just, I just pick people who are good people and hang out with them. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. But he actually had it backwards in a way, because as the church, we're kind of stuck with each other, right? <laughs> we, we unite around these common beliefs in Christ. And um, and then we're stuck with each other. Uh, and the good thing about that is that is that we're stuck with people of different political persuasions and affiliations, uh, and we have to make it work. And it's one of the last kind of bastions of, of fellowship where you're thrown together uh, and you have to make it work. And so I think that provides a really unique opportunity to model something that just isn't happening uh, as other institutions kind of integrate in our, in our culture and those kind of bonds uh, aren't there anymore and we're all retreating into our uh, social media echo chambers. Uh, the church is this stellar counterexample
1: or can be for the broader culture. Um, and then I yeah, go ahead. Yes, yes, and we need more of that. And I say that with the full
2: realization that by and large, I don't know, I don't want to say that's not happening, but at least the perception from the outside isn't that, right? Um, Because we often have a higher allegiance, honestly, to our political um, uh, beliefs than than our theological ones. Joked uh, the other day online that I'm like, can we get back to fighting about theology? Uh, I, I'm looking back on it with nostalgia and fondness of the, the, the fights of, uh, that were going on with Christians of my childhood when we, we, we focused more on theology. But anyway, and the problem, I think, is that a lot of Christians are catechized by, by cable news, right, rather than scripture, rather than the community of God. Um, and so we, we've kind of flipped things around. And when we do that, of course, our unity suffers. And then because of that, our witness to the wider world suffers. So, yeah, we, we need to have a, um, there's definitely a, a chance to model something better for the world. And like you said, though, there is a time to be prophetic, too, and to stand up. Uh, and and that's a costly time to do that. Uh, for instance, if you want to, especially when, if you're in the evangelical world, if you want to critique some of the things that our president has said and done, which I, I have, and... Um, uh, You get a lot of pushback, but I think it's essential that you're just not so blindly beholden to one political party that you toe the party line and just get behind whatever party's either side, right? Um, Christians think at times taking a pathetic stance means cutting against the grain of the culture or your tribe or your political party, make some tough stances. So and that's, of course, to everyone's conscience to figure out during this really difficult time, uh, but means spending more time in prayer, in fellowship with other Christians, and um, in your Bible than watching cable news or, and this
1: is where it hurts for me, on Twitter. <laughs> Show Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that is a, um, a hot
2: one, especially given, um, my location in the country, 15 minutes north of Portland, Oregon, where we've had these dramatic clashes between uh, police and protesters. Um, But when I hear that, I think of the need, and and I'm drawing from that interview I did with Robert Day, the the former uh, uh, police chief, to see each other's humanity. Because I think he really nailed it when he talked about, and he was pretty nuanced, I felt, um, when he talked about the core problem in a lot of these things is to see um, one particular group as irredeemably evil, to demonize that group, whether it's a certain ethnic group whether it's protesters, you know, that's easy for a lot of people to do. All those protesters are just uh, monsters and trying to rip apart America, or to look at the cops and say all cops are evil um, and just think that they're all uh, just, yeah, painting them with one brush. Um, And so that's the first thing that comes to mind, just that, that essential
1: task of humanizing each other, which demands conversations. Yeah, no, and and I'm just, I'm always kind of
2: stunned and a little sickened, especially when you see Christians doing it, um, painting their ideological enemies as irredeemably evil, essentially, right? Where they're just beyond the pale and you you use derogatory nicknames for them, uh, write them off, not realizing that there are real human beings behind that who aren't, let's face it, just all evil. Like they, you know, you might disagree with someone strongly on politics, but do you really think they don't love their kids? Or their spouse. You really don't think they have close friends and redeeming characteristics, right? Um, and then, of course, as Christians, we don't get to write off anyone as irredeemable because God did not do that to us. Uh, and so, yeah, we have to have a completely different outlook um, as believers when we look at our enemies. And we have to find some way to turn the other cheek and and, and to follow Jesus' commands as hard as they may be. Uh, but again, definitely a countercultural thing to do, especially in this cultural moment that we're in.
0: Definitely. So, yeah. So what about when we say, when you hear the phrase racial injustice or racial uh, justice, sorry, racial justice?
2: Yeah. Well, one thing I've realized is that probably no one wants to hear the the opinions of a super white Canadian on <laughs> the whole conversation. So I say, I offer whatever I say with a certain grade of salt, but <laughs> um, I think, you know, part of what I'm grateful for right now, even though there's a tremendous upheaval, is that I think it is a, a reckoning um, that's been long overdue in, in this country. And I'm a latecomer to it in some ways. Not that Canada has a spotless history when it comes uh, to, to this topic, but it's a very different history than the United States. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I hear about, um, read about some of the racism that is still like the explicit racism, I'm not talking about microaggressions or anything like that, I'm talking about explicit racism that still takes place, especially in some parts of this country, I'm stunned by it, um, it is. And so, yeah, I think this is a conversation that's long overdue. Um, of course, I don't wanna see it rip apart the country uh, and, and further entrench people, uh, but it's necessary. And when you just look at the statistics, you look at the average African-American family has one tenth of the wealth of the average white family. We can't, we can't let that stand. Something has to be done. Um, and, and so far smarter people than me, thankfully, are, are uh, offering proposals and uh, you know, public policy uh, changes to do that. But I think it's a necessary conversation. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So just having those conversations and it's funny because even if you hold, you know, if you're really serious about this uh, issue um, just from an ideological standpoint, it's easy to get online and share opinions and get mad and stuff like that. But what you're talking about is the more difficult, but ultimately more fruitful work of actually, you know, getting into your congregation, say, and and inviting people from different backgrounds in and really integrating your lives and and having those difficulties conversations and, um, and and maybe doing things that actually mean putting skin in the game as far as your resources, your time, right? That's where the real change takes place. Because I, I think sometimes we can talk about it a lot online and go, oh man, boy, I feel good about myself. I've really done something, but you haven't other than shared your opinions, <laughs>
3: right? Mm-hmm.
2: right yeah absolutely yeah so um i my day job is as an acquisitions editor at moody publishers so send me your your book ideas um and but I still have some kind of sidelines like, yeah, the one for Christianity Today, I edit a couple articles here and there. I also write a couple newsletters for them. Um, So that's just kind of something in my spare time. And then of course, when I can get some time after working and away from the kids, (laughs) I'll try to write a book here and there too. Um, So I got a few irons in the fire that way. Yeah, I would have been full-time, I believe. That's with Leadership Journal, which unfortunately closed. I like to say I drove it into the ground, but it had been on kind of a 20-year trajectory, so. (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Wow, yeah. I mean... Theologically, I mean, both fully evangelical, right? Uh, even Christianity Today, of course, has a whole role in evangelicalism with uh, Billy Graham. Right? And, and Billy Graham founded CT kind of as a counterpoint to the Christian century, which was kind of the um, mainstream, uh, more liberal um, wing of the church. Um, but it was also kind of a, a middle way between uh mainline liberalism and on the other side, fundamentalism kind of, saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, our core beliefs, but at the same time we're going to have an open-handed approach to the culture. We're not going to be insular or, or combative. Um, and so that was kind of the, the beginning of CT, what in the 1950s. Um, and yeah. And then Moody, of course, DL Moody, he just, the, the famous evangelist, uh, Yeah, right, Uh, and it's wild, too, because if you go down, I haven't been out there for a while because of the pandemic, but I fly out there every two or three months to get some face time with the team, and we're right downtown, right where Moody, yeah, knelt down, and God told him, hey, I want you to build this college right here. Um, And uh, he, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the first book that we published was his friend, um, Spurgeon, uh, All of Grace, I believe. Uh, And so, and then have been publishing ever since. So yeah, I think they're really similar. There's no official connection between, other than me, maybe that's the only link. (laughs) But um, yeah, both great institutions. You know, speaking of institutions too, we are in a time, you know, I just uh, read this lengthy uh, op-ed from David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, is actually in the Atlantic. And he talks really, really um, interestingly about this topic of institutions, how our institutions are kind of, Coming undone, people are more suspicious of institutions than ever, especially young people. I think they're like, ooh, I don't trust any institution, right? Whereas maybe past generations looked at institutions and go, okay, that's something solid, incredible. Young people look at institutions and they think corrupt, right? And that's a shame. I'm realizing as I get older, maybe now that I'm on the wrong side of forty, uh, it's my age speaking here. But institutions, man, those are the flywheels that turn that move things that that move culture right you can only do so much as an influencer on instagram or something but you need an institution kind of a critical mass of people coming together around a common cause often to get things done in this world and so that's
1: something that concerns me yes that's right and if you do they're
2: just going to think you have a a, you know personality disorder or something (laughs) no and I think you're right and movement is cool and movements are great but then I the way I see it movement's kind of the front end of something and then if you want to sustain that momentum if you you need an institution as as unpopular as that sounds right to to keep it going (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great question. Well, editor is a little more like, okay, you know, get, get to your desk. It's kind of like a, a more normal job as far as, yeah, I'm evaluating ideas, cleaning up manuscripts, that kind of stuff. Uh, author thing is definitely more entrepreneurial, right? Because, um, uh, especially these days, I think publishing houses are leaning more on authors to get the word out about their books because people, and this is a, a really a fairly new development, um, relatively speaking. Yeah. Because you can go and you can go directly to readers now, right? Whereas 30 years ago, you want to write a book. Well, you got to come to people like me, editors, publishers, and go, okay, here's my idea. Kind of submit it. And we say yes or no. And then we take it and we sell it, you know, and then you just kind of sit over on the sidelines. we sell it. (laughs) Uh, And of course, that's changed now. Um, And it's a challenge for people like us because we got to go, okay, well, make the case to people. Okay, why come through us? And there are definitely benefits versus self-publishing, especially if you have this big platform, you can get the word out yourself. But I think the the point I'm trying to make is that the gatekeepers are, are, are weaker than they used to be, right? Because for the time in history, really, almost anyone with a computer and internet access has the ability to go directly to people, whether you want to sell them a book or you just have a message that you want to share or a movement you want to start or a ministry you want to promote. Uh, it's not all about just self-promotion or making, you know, money or something. Um, but you can do that. There's nothing holding you back. Um, so that's, that's cool. That's exciting, you know, because people always ask, like, oh, how do you become an author? You know, it's this big thing. I'm like, just start writing. Facebook is great. You don't even have to put it on a blog. Just write long posts on Facebook. You get people interacting with you. They like your stuff. Then you write a couple articles for outlets and you're on your way. Um, uh, and you can field test your ideas just with automatic instant feedback too. So it's a great time that way for people that are more entrepreneurial in, in their thinking uh, and, and have a desire. They feel like God's called them to pursue a certain cause or to start something new. It's exciting. I, I think that's a, it's a really cool time to be alive in that regard. oh yeah (laughs) i think the scariest time is when i hand the manuscript to my wife and get her to read it she doesn't pull any punches yeah she she, i remember she's reading one chapter she's like you know this isn't good right i'm like what then i get defensive i'm like you try it come on Anyway, and then, she, then I have to realize she's right and rewrite it. Anyway, um, but <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that thing, especially for someone like me, maybe because I most of my, my writing comes out of my personal struggles or sins. um So initially, I'm kind of doing it for myself, to be honest. And then I go, does anyone else care about this? And with my latest book on self-control, I thought, this sounds kind of like, I don't know, Victorian, Puritan, you know, uh, is anyone going to want a book on self-control? It sounds like a bit of a downer. So there was a little bit of that fear, um, but I've been pleasantly surprised because people go, oh yeah, you know, they go, "I I need help in that area too. Right. And I think that's usually a good sign for a topic. Like if it's something you're really passionate about, you can't stop thinking about, or it's a challenge for you, then right in that direction, chances are there are readers that are interested in that same topic because we're all human. We got pretty common experiences. So that's the scary thing is like, okay, does anyone going to care about this? And then you put this thing out there and you feel a little vulnerable. Um, but I think the worst thing that can happen when you're an author is just no one reads it. No one cares, right? <laughs> and so I'll take criticism all day long. I'm delighted when someone writes me an angry email. Uh, <laughs> you read it. Thank you. <laughs> There you go. Exactly. Uh, and you know, it, it's also important to remember that the, the success or failure of any particular project or book in my case is not a referendum on your self-worth. Like I remember with my first book, you know, the first year I think it sold 5,000 copies. Right. And, and of course, every author, especially a, a new author, you think your book's going to like, you know, shoot to the moon and back New York, of course, New York times, uh, <laughs> Oprah's going to call, you know, um, but, and I remember just being totally bummed out about that and talking to my wife, Grace, and she's like, what's wrong with you? That's 5,000 people that, you know, potentially read this thing and maybe it was, were influenced by it. Imagine if you pack 5,000 people into an arena and you got to talk to them, that's a huge privilege. That was, that was a great kind of reality check for me um, because I, you know, was wanting to sell a hundred thousand or something like that, but like, don't, don't despise those small beginnings because that's still an incredible honor. If people are going to pick up your book or, or, or your articles and read them, uh, that that's a huge thing. Even if the numbers aren't quite what you'd hope they, they are. Wow, that's a great question. And honestly, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> um, well, you know what? These days, I, I haven't really thought of it in these terms. Like, I'm just, I just tend to make silly, dumb jokes online. But I've actually had a few people go, you know what? This is a really tough time, and I've appreciated the levity. And, and the silliness. Um, and so that's one thing, you know, I, I hope everyone's so darn serious these days online. Um, and, and we do live in really trying times. Um, and, you know, I've been making stupid jokes through the whole pandemic. And sometimes it's like, okay, I need to tone it down a little bit. You know, people are sick. Uh, people are dying. There are bad things happening. But sometimes we got to lighten up. So that's one thing I hope. Um, and then, you know, I, I hope that I can, um, you know, even if they're just encountering me through social media or seeing an article I wrote or something like that, I can convey something um, of my Christian faith and what God has done in my life, whether it's like, you know, big picture stuff, like saving me, (laughs) redeeming me or helping me grow in a certain area. Um, I think there are a lot of Christians like me that just, they love Jesus, but they're stuck in a certain area of their life and they, they really want to see, and it's not just like a self help, like, Oh, I want to be, a rock star, you know, but more just like, I want to look a little more like Jesus every year and it's not happening, right? And so for folks like that, I hope that what I share just moves them one step further down that path. Yeah. In your backyard. Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome.
3: Hmm.
2: Well, thank you. I think there's a corollary too with books. I have a friend that works with me at Moody um, who he says to write a bestseller you, in every chapter, you should make them laugh make them cry, make a point. (laughs) So I don't know. I haven't written a a bestseller yet, so maybe I'm not doing that, but I thought that was a pretty good template (laughs) for communicating. (laughs) Sure.
0: Yeah, I can jump into the rapid fire here. All right, Drew. So we like to do quick little segment where we ask you a series of questions and you can just give us the first thing that comes to your mind whenever we oh, ask Oh man, so, free
2: association. This could be dangerous. Yes.
0: All right. So what's your favorite <laughs> author?
2: Oh, who? Frederick Beekner. Frederick Beekner. No, I mean, I got to say, I don't know. All the people who wrote the Bible. Okay. So I uh, no no it's okay okay
0: <laughs> okay yeah that's the enough. holy spirit <laughs> <laughs> okay moving on he's yeah
2: because he's the best christian author breathing air i mean he's he's pretty old he's like 90 or something but man the dude can write um uh, he's got oh it's just so lyrical and um, insightful, humble. Uh, I'm thinking of his, what's the last memoir I read of his now and then. Um, and yeah, he's just a writer's writer. I really, uh, and, and uh, he, his name is spelled differently than it's pronounced. It looks like Bushner for, for anyone who's wanting okay. to look him up, but highly recommend. We'll
0: link, yeah. We'll link to him in the, awesome. in the notes. Of this, yeah. So. All he's right. Great. And what's your favorite podcast?
2: Oh, this one, obviously. <laughs>
0: okay. What's your other one?
2: <laughs> that's the other. second favorite one. Oh, man. There's so good ones out there. And I've gotten into podcasting recently. Um, you know what one that's consistently great is The Holy Post with Phil Vulture and Sky Jatani. And that's a little self-serving because they have me on semi-regularly uh, to hang out. But it's just, it's fun. And, you know, as we've been talking about mixing Humor with seriousness—that's a podcast that does that really well. Looks at contemporary issues, uh, and they're great guys.
0: Neat. All right, and who's your favorite spiritual mentor?
3: Oh
2: boy, um, you know I'm going to have to go with my dad. Uh, he's just a great guy. He was a, a career pastor. Uh, had to retire early. He's got Parkinson's, uh, but he's just man. He's he's who I want to be when I grow up. Just an awesome guy, uh, humble loves art. Yes. Arthur, Arthur. Yes. And now it's awesome. Cause he, he moved from Canada to lives now two hours from me down here. So we get to hang out all the time and he's, he's hanging in there. He's got Parkinson's uh, 20 years now, but he's doing remarkably well considering. Um, and so I'm just so blessed to have him in my life still uh, and, and in my kids' lives and he's just a humble, sweet man of God.
0: Hmm, that's awesome. All right. And what's the last book you read?
2: Oh boy, I've always got like,
0: or finished. What's the last book you finished?
2: (laughs) That's a totally different question. (laughs) Cause I'll have like, um, yeah, six, 12. And I'm like, I'm looking around my office right now and trying to remember which is the last book I finished. And then I got workbooks and everything. Um, Oh, you know what? One book, this isn't the last, maybe one I finished, uh, but it's called Dominion by. Oh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, he has the same name of the as the actor who played Spider-Man. Anyway, <laughs> Tom Holland. That's it. Uh, and he's a scholar from England who, not a believer, uh, but he looks at the whole history of Christianity, actually going back 500 years before Christianity, and gives this. That's it. Is it? Is it Tom Holland? Did I get that right? Yeah. Wow. What a fascinating book. Um, and I just learned a ton. Uh, yeah. Highly recommend it. Reads like a novel. Very disturbing though, because he goes into the whole world of ancient, ancient uh, uh, Rome, which can be very disturbing. But basically his thesis is just simple, is that people don't realize even kind of post-Christian cultures, how indebted they are when it comes to their ethics and morality to the Christian tradition right? And because and he's one of these guys, he's a scholar of the ancient world, especially the Greeks, fascinated of the Greeks. And then he realized everything they did was like totally abhorrent to him. And he's like, why is that? Though he's an atheist. He's like, well, he came to the realization that ethically he's a Christian, right? Because, <laughs> um, Yeah. And so he, he makes the point, he goes right up to the present day. I think the last chapter is called woke, talking about how all of this, you know, in the Western world, for sure. Anyway, there's a direct line to the ethics of, of uh, Christianity.
0: Huh, fast. Exactly. Fascinating. All right. So, on the book topic, do you like a Kindle? Or audible or physical book? What's your preferred? Physical. Mode of reading? Come
2: on. Okay. You got to go. <laughs> I mean, I mean,
0: that's, that's me. We, we are a house divided on that. So oh, point, yes. point well, for my side. You're right. Okay. So, okay,
2: I just solved it. All <laughs> right. No, I, and I have a Kindle, uh, which I don't use that much. But I mean, I get it when you're going, especially when you're traveling. Back when we went on these things called airplanes, you know, you can't haul 20 books with you. So Kindles are nice. But right. no, I mean, the smell of a book. The, the, the feel of it, you know, okay. Like I know. five years ago, everyone thought that Kindles were just going to take over paper books and those but were going to be haven't. like, they haven't, they haven't. In fact, uh, they, and they, they, they rose for a while, <laughs> they plateaued and they work for fiction, but for like nonfiction, especially you want to flip around, you want to mark it up. Right. So, yep. you know, the codex incident uh, incidentally was not invented by Christians, but popularized by Christians, you know, in the early church. Um, it's a pretty cool technology, and I don't think we've found anything to displace it quite yet. So I'll have a job for a few more years. <laughs> Wholeheartedly.
0: All right. Do you use Mac or a PC? I,
2: I am in the Mac cult. Okay. Look, I'm holding up my phone. Or, yeah. 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 I'm so. Oh, it's like <laughs> invisible. Uh, and I'm on a. i am on I got a iMac MacBook. Uh, two MacBooks actually, and my wife and I have. And and then it stinks, right? Because once you're in that cult. And everything's synced up and you're on the cloud and stuff like that. And so you can't get another Ever device. Leave. It's nope. evil genius stuff. <laughs> 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 this is my cry for help.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. And what, what's your preferred version of the Bible? So whenever you go to read the Bible, what oh, version do you read? Oh,
2: yes. Um, I have actually been digging the, the LifeWay. Uh, the hmm. baptists you know uh their cbs translation what does that stand for christian oh boy no, CSB. no csb csb sorry okay um it's great um but i'll say this when i hear people quoting certain pa- certain like famous scriptures uh mm-hmm. scriptural passages in anything other than the king james it's like nails on a chalkboard you know it's huh. like when I walk through the dark valley, I won't fear any evil. It's like, no, shut up. No, 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 no. <laughs> you shall fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I mean, some, some verses, you've got to go King James, even though I know it's not the best translation in the world and it's not like most faithful to the original languages. But come on, just for the poetic beauty of it. Well, from what I've read, it's pretty faithful to the original languages and yet it's readable. Often I feel like you have to kind of make a choice between the two. To ESV. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's more readable than the ESV. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not a scholar. My my seminary Greek is very rusty. Uh, But that's just kind of my impression. And some of those ones that are like, okay, faithful word to word, they just sound funny to me. But then some of them that are thought for thought, I'm like, okay. You can't have an argument with this thing because it's, (laughs) you don't know how faithful it's being to the language. And I feel like this one strikes a balance.
0: Definitely. All right. So now into more light questions, Uh, socks or no socks.
2: (laughs) I think, I think right now the better question is pants or no pants with all the zoom calls, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I assure you I'm wearing pants, but socks or no socks. No, I'm a sock guy. I am a okay. sock guy. I can't. Yeah. I feel weird if I'm walking around barefoot in the house.
0: All right. Um, and tattoos so or no tattoos. So do you I, have I'm a to-
2: You can't see it, but I'm totally sleeved. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no. <laughs> <That would> just <laughs> shock me. Here, here's the thing. I, I would be, I, I don't have one tattoo. My mom okay. would probably disown me, but here's the thing. I I'm open to it. Okay. But I feel like now that I'm like over 40, it's like, it's too late they're going to get shriveled and it's too late. It's, it's kind of pathetic. Like if you're, you know, you're in your twenties, you're going to get a tattoo, but you're trying too hard. Right. That said, if I had a whole bunch of friends, they're like, Hey, we're all going to go get tattoos. I'd be like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I'm a sheep. I'll follow.
0: <laughs> all right. Last question. Uh, golf or swimming?
2: Oh, well swimming. Cause I can do it. Golf. I can't, okay. I, I, I did go golfing actually. Um, when was that? I guess it was last summer now, for like the first time, really. I'd gone to like a driving range. I went golfing with my brother and my dad, and I was like, this looks easy. What's the big deal? Just you hit the ball, right? <laughs> and, and then a couple times I would hit it pretty good, and I'd go, oh, well, I can just do that again. And then the next time I'd miss it altogether or just slice it right into the woods. So it was very frustrating, very disheartening. Um, so I'm going to stick with swimming because I'm – swimming. I can okay. stay afloat. I'm okay.
0: All right. Well, that closes out all the questions and our episode for today. So, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to talk with you and just hear your your insight into the world today. So,
2: well, thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I really appreciate it, and it's a lot of fun. You gave me some things to think about too. Now I'm going to be thinking about golf and swimming and socks and everything. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't mean anything, but okay, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: The Start New Podcast was produced by Chapman Shainfelt with special help from Nick Taylor. Brought to you by The 5-2 Network. Original music by Nick Taylor. I'm Abigail Taylor. Thanks for listening.